0: And take your Bibles now and join me as we read out of Luke's Gospel in the fifth chapter. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, it's been a long, long, long time since I have played hide-and-go-seek. How about you? But my five-year tenure as a grandfather has reintroduced that game to me, a game that I used to play many moons ago, many years ago, with my own two children. Now, you know how the game is played, right? You know the drill, but in case you've forgotten some of the specifics, here's how it goes. You need at least two people. One person is going to be the one who's going to seek out and find and catch the person who's hiding. So that person turns away, right, and starts counting to the agreed upon number. It might be 10 or it might be 20. So, you know, one, two, three, and of course while you've got your back turned, the other person or persons are going to a location to strategically hide so that they cannot be found easily. So you count to 10 and, or 20, whatever the number is, and then once you get to that magic number, there, there's a phrase that you always say, right? You know what it is? Ready or not, what? Here I come, that's right, that's right. Ready or not, here I come. And then, of course, you start seeking and finding to catch them in the place where they're hiding. Now, when I play this game with my grandchildren, I like, to be the one who goes and hides and I like to wait until the moment in which they're just about ready to find me and they're just about ready to look up at me and I like to very suddenly say you got me (laughs) I've been waiting to do this all week long to you all choir I have fulfilled my purpose this morning. I can go home and be a happy man. I have been ready to get that choir all week long. So that's what I like to do when I play hide-and-go-seek with my grandchildren, when they show up suddenly, You got me! And, of course, they scream and yell, and we have a good time. Well, this text this morning, it's not a game of hide-and-go-seek, but in it, Jesus does find. Jesus does catch Jesus does capture Peter's heart in this story. You see, Jesus has borrowed Peter's boat. He's using it as a a place, a platform to speak to the people after a night of failed fishing. He's borrowing the boat to do his teaching and his preaching. And I'm sure that Peter must be sitting back thinking, Now, Maybe he's a pretty good teacher, maybe he's a pretty good preacher, but what does this guy, what does this carpenter really know about fishing? He's told me to throw out the net, and we've been out all night long. There's no fish out there. What in the world does he know? But, you know, I respect him, and I love him, and I want to obey him and do what he asked me to do. So, indeed, Peter and his partners throw out the nets. And you know the story. They bring up so many fish that the nets start to break and the two boats start to sink. Now, you know, even a, even a fisherman's tale of how many fish they've caught, that, that's quite a story, isn't it? The nets are breaking and the boats are starting to sink. But, but that's when the, and this is important for you to hear, that's when the experienced word begins to touch Peter's heart because it's the experienced word that confirms the spoken word that he's heard Jesus say. See, the reality is you can sit in a service like this for 52 Sundays out of the year and hear a pastor like me preach, or you can sit in a Sunday school class or be in a small group, and you can hear a teacher expound the word of God, and explicate its teachings and its truth. And all of that is important. Don't misunderstand me. But often, you know, it's the person that we meet. It's the crisis that we weather. It's the miracle that we experience. It's the personal encounter that we have with someone by way of a story. All of those things, those are the things that really catch our attention and confirm the truth. So you, so you see, those things are what reorient our life. Those are the things that transform and change our lives. So it's not the teaching from the sermon on the boat that captures Peter's attention. It's the personal encounter of taking a chance on Jesus' instructions about throwing out the nets and getting some fish. That's what captures and, and catches Peter's attention. When Jesus' light and love penetrate that crusty fisherman's heart, he does what I think a lot of us would have done in his case. He falls on his knees and he says to Jesus, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And you know, when we start to see ourselves as God does, with all of the sin and all of the failure and all of the mistakes and all of the brokenness, it's really easy to fall on your knees like Peter did and name and confess who you are, but it's also easy to do something else. Sometimes we do not look at the total picture like God does. We incorrectly assume that God can't use us until we are completely changed. God can't use us until we're completely healed. God cannot use us until we are completely rehabilitated from our mistakes and our errors and our failures in our life you know in this text jesus's encounter with peter kind of surprises us a little bit because jesus's response to peter is a lot different than what our response probably would have been to peter if we had been jesus you see jesus Catches and captures Peter's heart, and then surprisingly, he commissions him for additional responsibility. Jesus doesn't berate Peter judgmentally, but instead he says to him, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. In Luke chapter 6, just the next chapter over, Jesus then officially calls Peter to be his disciple. More work, more responsibility. And fast forward towards the end of the story of Jesus' life. Here, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to deny him three times. And of course, Peter says, no, Jesus, it'll never happen. And then when the occasion comes, indeed, Peter does deny Jesus three times. And all that's right before Jesus' crucifixion. But you know, when, when it comes time for Jesus to restore Peter, You read the story, and Jesus never demands that Peter repent of his denials and all of the other royal mistakes that he's made before Jesus restores him and gives him greater responsibility. He doesn't say to Peter, Hey, Peter, tell me how much you regret what you've done, and you promise me, Peter, that you'll never do it again. You know, we've talked about this before, but... That word repentance means to have a change of mind. It means to have a change of heart. It means you're going in one direction and you're trying to shift and go in another one. The word repent is used about 76 times in the New Testament, 24 times in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The word repentance is not used at all in John's Gospel. And it's used very sparingly In Paul's letters, the word repentance is in Paul's vocabulary, but he doesn't use that word a lot. Jesus doesn't typically, when you read his encounters with people in the Gospels, Jesus does not typically demand repentance from the common sinners of the day. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks, the other common folks of the day like these disciples. When Jesus really starts to ask for repentance, you know who he's talking to typically? He's talking typically to the hypocritical Jewish religious leaders and the unbelieving people of his day. The people that Jesus demands repentance from is typically the preachers and the deacons and the Sunday school teachers and the folks who occupy the pews of the congregation on most Sunday mornings. The reason Jesus is demanding a change of heart, a change of mind, from the religious leaders and the Jewish people of the day is because he wants them to change their concept of who he is and what he came to do. He's a different type of Messiah than what they're expecting, and so he calls them to repent, to change their minds and their hearts about who he is. No, the Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is a Jesus who focuses more on grace than he does on judgment. The Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is a Jesus who welcomes everyone, all are welcome to the table without any finger pointing. The Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is the Jesus who seeks to redeem rather than to condemn and shame. We don't find Jesus demanding that Peter repent after he names his sinfulness, but rather through his love and grace, Jesus catches and captures Peter's heart and mind. And then he commissions him for further service. And you know what? If you and I mean business, God can and will do the same with us. He'll use our failures and our sin, whatever failure and sin means for us individually, and he will give us greater responsibility and not less, which runs counter to how you and I operate in the world. If you have an underperforming student and you're a teacher, you don't typically expect that that student will do more, do you? will perform at a higher level. If you've got an underperforming employee at work, you don't add on additional responsibility to that employee and give them more opportunity to mess up. But you see, that's not how God works. He tends to do things upside down from the way we do it. You know, the fact is, God has a history. If you read the 66 books of the Bible, God's got a great history of using people who mess up royally It was Jacob. He was the one who steals his brother's birthright, and yet God makes this great nation out of his lineage. It was Moses, who was a murderer and was a very poor public speaker. King David, an adulterer and a poor parent. And then we get to Solomon, who towards the end of his reign started worshiping the gods of his wives that he had brought in. You know, I was checking on this a little bit earlier this week, and I had forgotten that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Can you imagine fellas having a thousand wives? Ladies, can you imagine having a thousand husbands? That's enough to put the fear of God in you, isn't it? And that was Solomon's downfall. He started worshiping the gods of his wives, the foreign gods. And then we get to the New Testament, James and John, who were hotheads. And then we finally get to the Apostle Paul, who was to murder and the imprisonment of many of the early Christians before Jesus catches and captures and then commissions him on the Damascus Road. And in the First Corinthians 15 text that we read just a few minutes ago, Paul gives you an honest appraisal of how he sees himself. Here, at one more time, Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles. And I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. You you put your name and your situation in what Paul just said. For I am the least of who? The least of the deacons, least of the Sunday school teachers, least of the choir members, least of ushers, least of my colleagues at work. And I do not not even deserve to be called a child of God because I persecuted, I let down, I failed, I wasn't faithful to the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. You know, as I've heard it said before, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. As it's been said before, God is not interested in your ability or lack thereof. He's really interested in your availability. You know, you may wonder whether God can or will forgive you. You may wonder if he can use you amidst The secret sin that you know is in your life that you struggle with all of the time. The mistakes, the failures, the mess-ups, the places of inadequacy. And you just start going down that list of those places of sin, mistakes, failures, and inadequacy in a marriage, in family life, in your educational journey, in your work history, past, present, Maybe future, and in your faithfulness to God. Well, folks, I got some good news for you this morning. Our sin, our mistakes, our failures, small and large, often become the basis for God catapulting us towards some greater end in mind. And that's why, just like Peter, he first tries to catch and capture our hearts with his glory and with his grace. And then he sends us out on a fishing expedition to try to seek out and catch and capture the hearts of others for Jesus. Now, you talk about good news. Folks, I got to tell you, that's good news. Let's pray together. God, this morning... We're just like Peter. When your light and your love shine in on us, we too fall on our knees. And we often want to say, Lord, depart from us, for we are sinful people. But Lord, we just celebrate the fact that you took Peter just as he was, and you started working on him, and you started changing and transforming him. And Lord, it didn't happen overnight. But slowly but surely you shifted him and moved him forward and kept giving him more work and more responsibility. So Lord, as you catch and capture our hearts, commission us, whether it is to invite 40 neighbors over for lunch one day and be the presence of Christ by having a hospitable spirit, whether it is, Lord, to be a friend to a work colleague, whether it might mean to share what Jesus has done for us in our life with someone else with whom we're in contact, Lord, help us to understand that you commission us for further service, and that if you don't use us, it's not because you didn't try. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.